Yo! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is a brand new episode of Bets and Banter. My name is Liam, and I pick fights each and every week on this channel. I do my first look earlier in the week, but today I'm coming back to you with a little bit more tape, a little bit more research, a little bit more information, and one of the sharpest bettors in the space, one of the sharpest track bettors going right now, and he happens to be from the great state of New York. We got two New Yorkers checking in for some bets and banter. We both got the fresh cuts. We're ready to roll. It's Pepe Sylvie on this show. Welcome aboard, my brother. How are you? What's up? What's good, Liam? Thanks for having me again. Uh, what's up, my people? Good to be back. Absolutely, brother. It's a pleasure to have you, man. We got UFC Vegas 78, and it's not the best card. That's why we had to bring on the best guest because, number one, we still got some betting opportunities. I've been honestly getting a little bit more attracted to betting this card as I've done more research on it. And I think that for a card like this, We've got a couple interesting action fights. So maybe, you know, for the casual fans, it doesn't have the name value. It's not going to draw you in, but it's got a lot of Brazilians that we can stop the hate on. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for us, especially. So let's start in this 125 pound division for the women's side of things, man. We got Juliana Miller looking not so good on the scales, coming in a little bit rough, right? Tough weight cut, but. She is, you know, a girl who came off the Ultimate Fighter. She's got that kind of experience. She's been with the company for a little while. That last fight, though, ooh, not a good look. She's taking on UFC debutante Luana Santos here. Santos comes in with some acclaim, split decision, loss to Jenna Bishop. That was the last thing I did before I got on the show, my man. I watched that fight, and it just seemed like she made a couple of boneheaded decisions in the grappling, uh, you know, kind of made a few crucial errors that cost her that fight, gave up a few back takes that really swayed it. And so she seems like, you know, somebody that's still green enough to make mistakes, but she also seems like as the fight was wearing on, her takedown defense looked better. She looked like she was getting more comfortable in the fight. So I think that she looks like a comfortable enough prospect, um, you know, that's building her game. Have we seen people get burnt by the debut jitters before? Absolutely. We've seen really talented people. We'll talk about some of them later, like Jacqueline Amarim struggling that UFC debut, had a hot start, but then couldn't finish. So I think in this fight, that's my only fear here is that Luana Santos could burn herself out here. Uh, but I do think unless she gives up some really consequential bad positions, I think her physicality should be enough to make the difference. So my brother, do you agree or disagree? How do you feel about this first fight of the evening? Do you think Juliana Miller is a live underdog or do you like the newly christened favorite here in Luana Santos? Mm. Um, I, I definitely do think that Miller could be live, but it's just not a spot that I want to put any of my money on really. Um, I I made one of my, like the worst bets of all time, um, last year and playing, um, Miller ITD against, uh, Veronica Hardy. And that was just a terrible, terrible bet. And, like, I can never bet on Miller again after that. I mean, she's just – they're both too inexperienced. Um, and I just kind of get the hint that it's kind of like a Brazilian showcase card, you know, with Luque and RDA in the main event. Uh, we got Amarim, um a little bit later in the card, and then Lucindo and – uh, Pollyanna Viana on the main card, you know, they're, they're definitely trying to showcase some Brazilians. I think they're trying to get Luana Santos a win. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm definitely not playing the juice on uh, Luana. Um, it's a volatile fight. If anything, I guess I like lean over, but even that is like heavy juice. I guess if you want to like parlay it with a couple things, I don't hate it, 
but overall no interest on on the money line side yeah man i couldn't agree more and i feel like people that got the early plus money on luana santos are the ones that got the best of it but at this point um you know it's probably a dogger pass situation it's very low level women's mma but i just don't feel like betting on juliana miller number one the weight cut number two the fact that she's not really much more experienced or anything. She does have some fights that don't show in her record, obviously, the bouts from the Ultimate Fighter, things like that. Uh, but still, she's a work in progress at best, right? That last fight, I think, demonstrated that. Um, but Veronica Hardy does have a first-round submission win over Pollyanna Vienna. Um, you know, she has a couple of decent wins. It's just that she had been out for so long. That was what we were all questioning. You know, what was she going to come back with? And unfortunately, Dan Hardy, you know, took that uh, seriously. You know, he took that personal. And so <laughs> she came out with a great performance uh, and looked like she had really been coached up there. So, um, you know, nothing also, but applauded uh, for her. I think... I think Miller's on OnlyFans right now, so that would be a part of the OnlyFans fade. Um, yeah, definitely no interests. Um, Cue the Curb Your Enthusiasm music side. right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that this is just a pass fight overall for me. Um, good luck to everybody who's betting it, though. Y'all have fun with this one. Um, next up, we've got Damon Blackshear taking on Jose Johnson. This fight uh, put together on late notice. Uh, Brady Highstand had to pull out of a scheduled bout with Blackshear here due to a staff infection. So we wish him well, but, um, you know, with this new matchup that we have, I feel like Damon Blackshear, um, you know, I got him completely wrong in his last fight. I thought Luan Lacerda was a live underdog there and, uh, he got smoked in that fight. He absolutely got beat up. And so I feel like I've underrated Damon in the past. You know, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, physically built. And you look at the quality of guys he's lost to, they're all guys that are better wrestlers or grapplers, I felt like. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case here with Jose Johnson. So that's why I feel like I would have to favor him in this matchup. But he's a big chalk price here. I think 70% indication right now. And I don't necessarily feel like laying that either because we did see the Yusuf Salal fight where he was cruising you know, to a decision there and then ended up giving up a 10-8 in the third round. So uh, I think that that's always a liability here. But um yeah, I probably favor the Demond Blackshear side, and I think it's his birthday. Uh, my guy Rogue Strummer said that in the comments. If true, never fading somebody on their birthday. You know, just uh, narrative purposes. Uh, I, I can't do that. So, how do you feel about this one, my brother? Um, first of all, shout out to me for playing Blackshear and Blackshear KO against Lacerda last fight. Um, shout I out to you. I also played him against uh, Bashra too at like plus three fifty. That didn't work out, but. I think I think it was a decent bet. Like he made it pretty close. I should have played the plus three and a half. Um, also, um, yeah, I I wanted to play Blackshear, but it just never got to uh, the price to where I had I had a buy price in mind, but it didn't quite get there. But I don't really have too much interest in playing Johnson. It's just kind of like a stylistic nightmare for him. Um, Blackshear is pretty good at sticking to a game plan. Um, he attacks wrestling in all of his fights. So I'm, I'm fairly confident that he's going to go for wrestling and he's going to be able to get takedowns and hold them down. Um, from a props perspective, I might be interested in some late Blackshear submission, maybe some sub two, three small. If the numbers, if I can get some bigger numbers than what bet online has right now, um, but yeah, that that's all I have for that one. 
Our guy Moyes in the comments shouting out that he gassed hard versus Mutino. I think that fight was back in 2017, if my memory serves. So um, he's come a long way since then, in my opinion. But, um, you know, admittedly, that's probably the worst loss on his resume. So shout out to that. I think every loss since then has been pretty quality grapplers. So uh, next, let's see what we've got. Uh, we've got Montserrat Ruiz taking on Jacqueline Amarim at 115 pounds here in the strawweight division. And I think that, you know, this is a fight that we went back and forth a little bit in the DM. So my brother, I'm going to cue this one up to you first. How do you feel about this fight? First of all, shout out to me again for cashing Sam Hughes plus 300 against Amarim last fight. Man, I love this chick. Uh, she's an absolute smoke show. Um, and her jujitsu is really solid. The problem is, like, she had never gone past round one before. And, you know, she adrenaline dumped, chasing the finish against Hughes, didn't get it, was very close. And that just had nothing to offer in rounds two or three. Um I think I think she'll be able to get the submission against um, uh, Montserrat though. Um, Ruiz is pretty awful. I mean, I, I think that this is a showcase fight for uh, Jacqueline. They want to build her as a star and a potential star. I don't think she'll ever be a star, but they want to keep her around at least. And I don't think they really care about um, Montserrat. Um, so yeah, I I played the submission one at plus one eighty. Um, I think that's going to win. Yeah, they fed her to Amanda Lemos in her last fight. That was a real vote of confidence. But I, I feel like when you look at Montserrat Ruiz and uh, Buys, what stood out to me there, I went back and looked at their record because I thought it was true. Neither one of them has ever recorded uh, a submission, I don't think, um, at that level. And uh, certainly not on the buy side. She's never submitted anybody. So I felt like that was kind of like a tailor-made matchup where you have a girl who's not really proficient in jiu-jitsu. She wants to stand up on the feet. You took her down with the head and arm throws. You go back and watch her regional footage. A lot of times she is taking people down and putting them into that position. Um, but her striking, she comes forward. She's kind of aggressive. But I feel like that's the exact wrong attribute to have against Amarim. I don't think her wrestling is all that good. I think it's still a work in progress. Looks a little sloppy on some of her entries, but I know that Kaneha wants to wrestle. She's a Mexican wrestler. She's got a bunch of wrestling championships. You read any of her interviews in the past, she's always talked about, I'm going to always keep wrestling until it doesn't work. And I feel like she's going to wrestle here and it's not going to work. So uh, <laughs> that's my feeling as well. I think that the KO line is a little, a little wide here because you see Kaneha is a tough girl. We've also seen Amarim record a first-round knockout where she just did a drive-by, hit the girl with a big punch, and the girl went down instantly. Uh, and we just saw Kaneho flatlined in her last fight. She did get back up, but she was still wobbly and trying to, you know, hold on to the referee for for balance there. So I feel like this is a this is a fight where I do agree with you. I thought Amarim was going to win her last fight, but I I didn't bet it. Right? I'm not really in the business of laying big chalk on WMMA. I just don't do it. So then I, you know, was disappointed with that result. But I feel like that's classic UFC jitters, and I, I feel like in this spot, she's going to have a much better performance. So I'm picking Emerim, and I think she's going to get it done in the first round, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if she got it done uh, you know, a couple different ways. Just controlling the wrist and ground and pound from the back, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, I found it kind of weird that she came in and weighed in at 113. Um, she's been off for quite a while. Um, I, I could definitely see um, uh, Emerim getting her in a crucifix and pounding her out. Yeah, me too. And th the one thing I will say is Montserrat has a surprisingly large social media following, like over a hundred thousand 
uh, Instagram followers, but I just feel like, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the things I took into account here was if they wanted to showcase her, you know, they've got a Mexican type themed card coming up. Um, you know, the Grasso card, they didn't put her on it, right? Like they could have, and they didn't, they put her on this Brazilian S card, like we were discussing. So yeah, I agree with you. Yo, I think they, it's a, a Brazilian they, showcase here. They could have, they could have put her up against, um, Estela Nunez instead of matching Estela Nunez up with Dudikova. Instead, they put her up against Amarim, who's has the remedy to what she's going to offer. So yeah. Love it. Love it. Sometimes it's just a stylistic nightmare. Um, and Mimi asks in the comments, Ruiz, a national wrestler champion, why does she only have one takedown? She definitely does not. Uh, sometimes you can't trust UFC stats. You got to trust your eyes. Uh, she got, you know, continuous top time on Cheyenne Baez. Um, and he, that the thing was, though, Cheyenne Baez got a couple reversals in that fight and almost TKO'd her at the end of round two. She looked tired and she was underneath getting ground and pound. So I think that those were a couple bad visuals that, again, made me think that the TKO was live here. But in any case, let's move to this next fight, man. We got heavyweights engaging uh, between Josh Parisian and Martin Budai. And, you know, much like WMMA, uh, low-level heavyweight MMA, not the thing that I normally lay big chalk on, but I just felt very convicted gut level that I would never bet Parisian in this spot. I feel like this is a Boudet spot, um, but I, I'm not going to bet it. I just think that he's going to win this fight. Um, when I look at Boudet, he's a big guy. He's heavy. He could lean on people um, and he could throw shots that impact people. And he continues to push in rounds two and three. And at heavyweight, that's enough. You know, that's enough to win a lot of fights, um, especially at this low level. So I, I think that Budai, if this fight went to the ground, I would also advantage him there. He hasn't really shown a lot of his ground game in the UFC, but uh, Baddies BJJ, I think his uh, name is on Instagram. My man comes from that BJJ background, has work on the mats, and I, I honestly think Josh Parisian stinks everywhere. Um, you know, he throws a decent amount of volume, but I, I thought Alain Badeau was going to beat this guy. I thought everybody was going to beat this guy. I never believed in him. That's just me. So how do you feel about this one, brother? Five yeah. units, Josh Parisian plus not one night. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I took a little bit of the over two and a half. Um, I I have a little Boudet money line. Um, you know, I I did find something interesting though as I was combing through um some stuff with them is that um Boudet's one submission that he has on his record is a Kimura. And the submission loss that Parisian has on his record is a Kimura loss. So I was, it got my, it got, it got me kind of thinking about potentially sprinkling round two and round three submissions for Boudet. Like it doesn't really seem super plausible with the way Boudet has been fighting in the UFC, but I wouldn't be shocked if he got him down in round two or three while Parisian's gassed out and gave his arm a, a nice little yank um you know and potential because like the round three sub is like plus five thousand so yeah i don't know what do you what do you think about that i don't hate it man because i don't believe in parisian i think he's kind of a fish on the mat i mean look at the dante Mays fight dude he was getting humped in the face like just out of self-respect that you can't let that happen you got a hip escape or something like you got to do something uh and heavyweight it's hard man but I feel like there's a lot of red flags on him. And honestly, I just wouldn't be surprised if he folded up shop. But he's so tough, man. He's hard to put away with strikes. Like, he'll just take a million shots to the head. You know, he's he's kind of, uh, you know, built that way. So I don't I don't hate that shot at all. 
I would just say, I think it's like 12 to one on the sub. Uh, mm-hmm. I would just put a touch on that if, if I was doing that, because I would be gutted if, if I had the two and three, and then he just takes him down the first and submits I him. know because I wouldn't be that surprised if he attempted a takedown and just yeah. looked like a superior. Topic. So I was, I was originally thinking fight goes the distance, but then upon wa- like watching the Collier fight, like Collier barely survived round three. Boudet almost took him out. Like he was hanging on by a thread. So I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's going to go the distance. I think Boudet might finish him to be honest. Would not surprise me at all here. Um, you know, that's why I, a lot of people love to play the totals on these kind of heavyweight fights. And sometimes I think they stand out like on the uh, contender series this week. I felt like that was a spot that stood out. Like neither one of those guys looked all that dangerous. Um, you know, so in the end, it was a little bit greasier even than I thought it would probably be. But that's kind of the way heavyweight fights play out. You know, at the end of the day, Boudet is going to be like 285 to 300 pounds tomorrow morning, swinging around hammers, you know, like, would it be that surprising if Parisian went down at some point? Like, I don't, I don't think it would. Uh, so I, I would prefer to be, um, you know, on some kind of prop for the Boudet side than on any uh, total here, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, wonder what the suburb decision is. I maybe that's plus money. Well, Parisian barely Curious. survived um Alan Badeau. Like he was he was close to being out against Badeau. Um like yeah, he is kind of resilient, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean if Alan Badeau almost takes you out in the first round, that's uh right. Roki Martinez defined red flag. Roki Martinez was slapping him around. Dude, I bet Roki Martinez, and it's Ooh. all been downhill since, bro. I've never got – I don't think I've ever won a bet on a Josh. That's Parisian. awful because Parisian, <laughs> Parisian was like minus 200 there. Dude, all my bets on heavyweight MMA, like all my really good ones didn't cash. Like, like every good against one, Arlovsky? Yeah, yes, it, precisely. Every DeLima bet where he lost and didn't get his teeth knocked out, that yeah. like those ones, yep. Uh, so a couple brutal ones, but in any case, we can move to this next one. Another fight that we've discussed a little bit, guys, I want to say real quick, as we transition to this next fight, very fun prelim here, but go ahead and drop a like on the video. Got a hundred people rocking with us live. Appreciate the support. Appreciate you guys being here without further ado. Let's break down the fire marshal, Francis Marshall taking on Isaac Dolgarian here. And Dolgarian is a guy who's been signed to the UFC for a while but hasn't been able to make that debut, hasn't been able to step foot in the octagon, but he's taking on a guy here in Francis Marshall coming off of a tough loss, a learning lesson against Gomez in his last fight where he wasn't really able to get his offense going. But I rewatched the Rojo fight. That was a fight that wasn't without issue, you know, as well, where he was getting hit with some shots there. He did the better work. He landed the cleaner shots. And honestly, that knockout I felt came out of nowhere. You know, he just hit him on the chin with the right hand when Rojo looked like he was defending and he just went down flatline. Uh, but I feel like that speaks a little bit more to Rojo than Marshall's just like devastating knockout power. Cause I've seen him go 15 minutes with older guys on the regional scene and get reversed a couple of times. So he's still young, you know, he's younger than I am. Like the guy's a beast, right? He's getting better every day. But I think that when you're looking at a guy like Isaac Delgarin on the other side, I'm not really sure that that's not the case. Right. So I'm going to kick this one over to you, my man. What do you think about this fight? And uh, you know, what, what gets you intrigued here on the Delgarian side? Yeah, so we talked about this a little previously, but um, I I played Dalgarian pretty big at plus one ninety five, and 
the biggest premise of why I made that bet was I was just leaning into variance because there's a, a lot of unknowns with Dalgarian, but you know, a lot of people want to give him shit because he hasn't fought past the round one. And I get it. Like you never want to bet on fighters like that. Like say for instance, um, Amarine against Sam Hughes. However, um, with, with his wrestling pedigree, um, and just the way he's been finishing these guys, like, I really do like what I see. Like, obviously, the like his strength of schedule has been god awful, but Marshall has doesn't really have like that strong of a competition either. And like, there's nothing he really does that impresses me that much. Um, like, yeah, he's solid all around, he has cardio or whatever, but he doesn't really impose himself that much in his fights. And I think, I think. I, it's more of like a 50-50 fight, in my opinion. So I'd rather take a big bet at the big plus number on the guy who has potentially more finishing upside and just more unknowns. And I think it's also a spot where, like, if I really don't like how things are going, I could flip live and take some Marshall. But, yeah, I've, I do kind of believe in this kid, Dalgarian. Um, I listen to a few interviews and sometimes that doesn't work out. You know, you get sold a, a bill of goods that really isn't there. And, you know, but I don't know. There's something about him. And I like everything I've seen on film from him. Um, he seems like a tough dude. His wrestling looks really good. His finishing instincts are awesome. But it's definitely a step up. But I'm willing to um, embrace some variance and take a, a risk with him. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Because uh, our guy Londo says, on the feet, this is a 50-50 fight, but Marshall has a massive grappling advantage. If he's smart and wrestles, he'll win this. I mean, Isaac Delgarian doesn't look like a guy that you're going to easily out-wrestle to me, to tell you the, the, the truth, right? Uh, Pepe had asked me, you know, what do you think about this fight? And I hadn't gotten to do tape. So I was at work earlier, and I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm running the tape as I'm there. And uh, his fights are pretty quick, right? Easy enough to run. So I ran through all the fights, and, um, you know, he's a guy that looks very good, right? Like, I think that, um, again, is he going against very low-level fighters? Yes. But you have to look at what you're seeing and try and evaluate what am I am I seeing something that could uh, continue to work at a high level? The guy knows how to wrestle and grapple and chain his attacks together, and he has a process on the ground. He has a very smart process, as a matter of fact, where he's creating a dilemma. Right? We talked about this with the Gavin Tucker, um, you know, situation from last week, right? I uh, ended up changing my mind about that fight where I thought he was going to be live at the beginning of the week. And by the end of the week, I kind of come around to the fact that Diego Lopez was too dangerous. I thought he was going to knock him out and chin him. But when we talk about that finish, I, I, I said, the thing that separates is he created a dilemma, which is a problem you can't solve in real time. And what Delgarian does is he puts you in a position where if you don't defend, he's going to put you in a head and arm choke that's tight. If you then try and defend, he's going to take your back, put two boots in and try and go hip down. And if you do that, if the fight is virtually over. He's extremely dangerous from there. Any wrestler will tell you that's their best position, right? In jiu-jitsu, sometimes people are looking to get the back and the body triangle and these kind of things to control position. This guy doesn't do that. He's trying to punch a hole through your head. He's trying to drop elbows on your head. He makes a really uncomfortable fight for people. And a lot of these guys, you know, were trying to offer some resistance and getting brutalized. Even the guys that were athletes that bucked up to their feet a little bit and did whatever, he just seemed to have a chain of, uh, you know, continuation to his attacks. And I think that I haven't seen a lot of that from Marshall, you know, 
Uh, like I've seen him get reversed a little bit. I've seen him give up some bad positions on the regional scene. So I, I, I think this is an honest fight. You know, that's how it feels to me. I would not be laying chalk against Isaac Delgarian because from a gambling theory point of view, and again, we could be totally, I, I could be dead wrong about this, but here's the thing that I know for sure. If Isaac Delgarian comes out in this fight and he has elite cardio and he beats the hell out of this guy for three rounds, then this price will never be there again for the next fight because they'll be like, oh my God, America, you have a Khabib and whatever. And then the hype train will be there and then it'll be the time to try and get off. But that's what this game is, right? Trying to project talent. So I see it too, right? I watch this guy. He looks very talented to me. He looked, I, I was watching his tape going, golly, I, I'm glad I'm not fighting that guy. Like I would not want to do that. He's very intense. He comes out the gate hot. He's not afraid of a guy throwing at him. I saw him get his, his eye bruised up, swollen up, get hit in the face. And he was still coming forward like a madman trying to kill. I like to see it. So uh, for me, I think that he is a dangerous fighter and um, you know, I, I'm not going to be laying chalk against him. Am I saying that Francis Marshall can't win the fight? No, but he's being priced like he's already won the fight. You know, he's being priced like he's very sure to win this fight. I think it's a lot more honest. So uh, I'm with you, brother. I think it's a dog or pass situation, but I also missed the boat, right? Uh, the books have the information that my guy Pepe's coming in, that he sees something. So, you know, they're respecting some sharp action here. I'm sure he's not the only one. And, uh, you know, this line has come down accordingly. So unless yeah. we get a blow up in price, I'm probably just going to have to sit this one out. But um, I think Delgarian, Delgarian ITD are are the interesting uh, spots in this fight potentially. But uh, Marshall and late props, I don't hate. Uh, I think that's that's smart. You know, also, like, I don't know why it's to be assumed that um, Marshall has better wrestling than Delgarian, considering Delgarian has a higher wrestling pedigree previous to coming to the UFC and being in MMA. So I don't know why anyone would assume that. Yeah. And uh, again, I, it's just one man's opinion, but I've wrestled for 10 years and I feel like he's the better wrestler. When I watch him, I think he's the better wrestler. But sometimes the, the one issue that wrestlers have, I think transitioning to MMA, transitioning to jiu-jitsu at times, is that they wrestle for seven minutes and they want to they go that pace. And sometimes you have to moderate a little bit. But people have discussed this. I don't want to overuse uh, the analysis, but he's patient on top where he takes his time and he picks his shots. So he's throwing really hard. He's committing to what he's doing, but he doesn't seem like he's rushing. He's, he's creating finishes. I used to say about pinning people, you don't force a pin, you let it materialize. You wait for them to pin themselves. You you put them in these uncomfortable positions and then you make them make the mistake that cost them everything. That's what it seems like he's doing. And uh, he put a lot of guys in bad spots with his damage on the ground and also with his submission. So I think this is, uh, you know, I, I don't know that Francis Marshall is much better than him. I know he's proven down the stretch, right? I, I could see him being a small favorite here, but I, I don't see him being a big favorite here. Next up, let, let, or do you have something to add here? No, okay. I was just going to say fair play. Fair play. It's an intriguing fight. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, should be a good one, man. Two two guys that I think will win a bunch more fights in the UFC. So young guys, and th they're putting them together early. Let's go. Next up, Terrence McKinney taking on Mike Breeden. And Mike Breeden's an older guy uh, with some experience, but he just seems like he's at a huge athletic deficit here. Uh, the things about McKinney that you don't like, his cardio is a huge red flag. His chin has been tested in the UFC. You know, he got knocked out brutally in meme-like fashion. I, I cashed a couple of tickets on Bonfim there, but then I faded him in his next fight. You know, uh, the Terrence McKinney uh, odds change effect. But in any case, 
you know, he did rock Drew Dober and almost have him out of there and looked like he was on the verge of finishing him. And he's like a fringe top 15 guy. So he knocked out Matt Frivola, a top 15 guy in seven seconds. Like to deny the athletic upside would be crazy, but then it's hard to back a guy who has massive cardio red flags as a huge favorite. So for me, uh, lean here is Terrence McKinney, but the, I mean, even the under is like what minus 300 here and just like comical numbers. Um, so I, I don't love these prices at all. What do you think about this one, brother? Any, is there something I'm missing here? Um, no, no, I haven't, I haven't played anything on this fight yet. And I've been, I've been a, a McKinney hater. <laughs> I played Bonfim against him and, um, Sadikov. Um, but here I, I could see, I could see McKinney getting back on track here with a round one submission. Um, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to play like early props at like really short numbers for McKinney. You know, I mean, I could easily see Breed and toughing it out and, you know, extending this fight a little bit. I just, I don't have any interest in betting this fight at all. Potentially live, I'll bet Breed in, but yeah, never McKinney. I, I love it. My guy, uh, J. Cole MMA. Straight from the write-up, uh, Breeden is cannon fodder. Cannot lay money on him pre-flop. Unfortunate, but that's how I feel. You know, it's just like there, there's some guys that they don't do them any favors with how they book them, and I feel like that's kind of, um, you know, been Breeden's situation, unfortunately. So McKinney here on short notice, not not going to be playing it, but I think he's probably going to smoke him in the first round, and uh, that's what he does best. Next up, Marcus McGee taking on J.P. Buys. IJP looked a little bit rough on the scales. Don't love to see that. But um, overall, you know, I I feel like I might be in, in the social media trap, right? But I was kind of uh, liking what I saw from JP Bias in terms of what he had been posting pre-fight, you know, in the lead-up. He looked like he was in great shape. He looked like he was working really hard with elite guys, Amir Al-Bazi, uh, Aljamain Sterling, two guys that he's been in back-to-back camps with uh, in preparation for big, important fights. Um so I feel like that's a good, you know, thing for him. I liked what I was seeing, even in the drills he was doing with Ode Osborne. He looks fast, but the durability has just never been there, right? Um, we've seen it a number of times. He's been knocked down a million times. His durability was certainly better at bantamweight than it was at flyweight, where at flyweight he was getting brutally knocked out, and at bantamweight he was getting dropped and then, you know, recovering to a single leg and whatever. And the one thing I will give him credence to is that We've seen a bunch of other guys get just knocked out by Montel Jackson, right? And not not be able to get that recovery time. And uh, he was able to do it. So more more power to him. Fought through it there. Looked tough. But Marcus McGee just seems like a much more physical athlete uh, than JP. Um, so it's a really tricky fight for me. Uh, if I had to play a money line, I would take the JP side at plus 300. I, I do think it's a touch wide. But um, Marcus McGee probably gets this one done, especially if he's having a rough weight cut. That can't be good for the durability, I feel. And uh, that's the ultimate problem for JP Bias. It's the punching of the face business, and he can't take a punch. Um, what do you think about this one? Yeah, and you you got to think, like, he's probably so psychologically messed up right now after getting finished so many times in a row and just getting embarrassed, um, like, continuously. Um, yeah, um, I think... However, I do have some money on him. Um, I I played him uh, round one submission at plus 1,500. You know, McGee's one loss was the round one submission. He looked kind of lost in grappling transitions. 
But I also played um, the under one and a half pretty big. I think McGee's going to uh, – I think they're both going to try to come out and impose their game really fast because JP's not going to want to stand there and be in striking range knowing that he has no chin and that he could pen- potentially get knocked out. And McGee's going to want to just come out and just knock his head off, go bonus hunting, and just, like, show that, you know, that he's the alpha in the octagon. Um, so, yeah, I, I see a finish happening either way in the first seven and a half minutes. You know, JP's gas tank has been pretty bad. And um, I think not many of McGee's fights have gone over either. So, yeah, you know, it, I, I like it's crazy, under. dude. 70% of their fights for both guys have uh, ended in the first or second round. Uh, the unders, you know, they're a little finicky. Sometimes it goes over by two seconds and whatever, but just like they're, they are pricing the fight not to start round three very aggressively. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. uh, well aware of that trend. So, yeah, I agree with you. I was very tempted on the under here. Uh, I got spooked because of JP. All of his things were like, uh, talking about endurance and whatever. And I was like, is this guy going to come out here and just try and like pace wrestle him for the whole 15? But um, yeah, I think you're right. I think his best chance to win is to try and grapple this guy early because the longer he's out there, the more danger he's in. And uh, the the one thing people I think might be sleeping on is the fact that JP gets hurt so bad that if anybody wanted to submit him, they probably could. Um, so I think that McGee showed in his last fight. He he does not discriminate. Um, yeah, that so. was his first. That was McGee's first submission too, and um, and against a black belt in Journey Newson. I I thought Journey might be live. Um, you know, I didn't bet him there, but I I, th- I was like, man, Journey black belt. Like maybe he could come out here and get the sub. Yeah, nope, well, got McGee, McGee was just rocking him, rocking his head all over the place the whole fight. Um, and yeah, I think I think he can do the same. I think the UFC knows that, and. But they're also giving JP a, a potentially winnable fight as well. So, yeah, I, I like the under quite a bit. If JP can get that round one submission, that would be that would be fucking great. You, you know what's uh, the the last thing I'll mention here that that spooked me on this fight as well? Because my thought was like, I, I got to take the shot on JP. But the only thing that's kept me from pulling the trigger is that this guy Marcus McGee is like training partners with O'Malley. Wouldn't it be great advertising for the O'Malley fight if they're like, oh my God, his training partner just killed JP Buys with one punch? Like, <laughs> and dude, dude, I didn't bet um, Jesus Aguilar against Shannon Ross. And it, it haunts me to this day, dude. I didn't bet the KO and I told everybody it was live. I was like, plus 900, that's a busted number. Didn't take it. My brother in Christ, it was one punch. And I was like, how did I not take this? So, in, at least in this fight, they're nerfing the props and making it a lot easier to pass on them on the McGee side. But uh, that's just one of one of the bets that will always like I'll live to regret, right? And that that is the one fear I have with JP is he's got that kind of chin where he he could end up on a finish like that. So shout out to your under. I think uh, either way you've got a really good chance here. Both guys live for a finish. Next up, man, let's move to the main card. We got Josh Friend, Miss Weight, 190 pounds here. Uh, I believe 189, something like that. Uh, sheesh, uh, not good. Coming in against Jamie Pickett, also not good, right? Uh, one of the one of the pieces of tape I was rewatching today was Stefan Chukwi and Jamie Pickett, and I was like, wow, this is not good fighting. Uh, you know, on either side, really. I, I feel like Jamie Pickett is a guy that 
has never reacted well to strikes. Uh, I think his grappling is also at best a work in progress. But I think the one thing he does okay is offensive striking. It's like sometimes when he's scared, he lashes out and just throws a couple big shots. And he can hurt people because he's kind of got an athletic build. He's got some length, and he puts uh, some power into his shots, you know. But I just don't really believe in what he does. You know, he looks panicky. Even in the Joseph Holmes fight, that's the only time I ever bet on Jamie Pickett. I bet him like 0.4 units at plus 150 or something. Like I couldn't commit much to it, but I was like, all right, all right, I'll give it a shot. And he did win there. He's a big plus money number here. But against a guy who missed weight, you know, that just makes me think, did Frem really prepare for this fight? Does he care about this fight? Is he like that? Is he just like sleeping on Jamie Pickett? But he could probably sleep on Jamie Pickett and still win. Jamie Pickett's not that good. So uh, at the end of the day, that that was what I came away from my tape study thinking like, yeah, the Jamie Pickett, maybe, maybe uh, like gambling theory does say you should probably take Jamie Pickett or pass on this fight. But it, it's also just so tough to click a Jamie Pickett. Um, you know, even at plus 270 here because he's not very good. What do you think about this one? Yeah, this fight's a complete pass for me. You know, Fremd, Fremd I think Fremd is improving. He's young enough. Um, he's at he's at the better camp. He's got the way better tools. But, I mean, he, he's been kind of chinny in the past. So, I definitely wouldn't be comfortable laying any kind of big chalk on him against Pickett. However, I have no interest in betting Pickett. Um, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Pickett wins. Definitely not. But, yeah, just no interest in betting this fight. No, I don't have any betting angle on it either. No no prop or total stands out. Honestly, the one thing that does kind of stand out to me is the under two and a half at minus 162. I mean, I feel like the only way that Fremd loses this fight is in meme-like fashion. Uh, you know, like I, I would be very surprised if Fremd lost a decision here, truthfully. So I don't know. Uh, I got to add a little bit more thought, but. I just feel like Frem should finish Pickett if he wants a job in the UFC. Um, but if he was to lose this fight, I feel like it would probably be a meme. I mean, Ho- like, hopefully it's between the two, Evan. I'm rooting for you, brother. Pickett, yeah, that is kind of chalk for a two and a half. Fair play. Pickett, um, although he's wilted in the past a couple times, um, he's just kind of like a an exister sometimes. Like he doesn't do anything. He tries to cage push. And, you know, usually the, those are the kind of fighters I like to bet overs on. Um, you know what I yammed last time? Hmm. Ends in round one, minus 175 against Bo oh. Nickel. That was one of my favorite bets. I was like, I was like, if he doesn't cash this, he's getting cut. So, like, Bo Nickel is going out here and finishing this did, guy. Did any of the arm triangle in wrong, too? Oh, dude, he had it in for so long. I was like, is this really going to, I'm like, they're going to do a comedy here. It's going to go, <laughs> it's going to go four minutes in an arm triangle. I, dude, I had uh Derek Brunson by sub once um, in the, uh, in the Kevin Holland fight where he has that head and arm choke locked up for like two oh, minutes yeah. and he doesn't finish it. Like I've had a couple, dude, I had Corey Sandig in uh, sub five. Plus oh my God. Like, just oh like, my God. I, I've had a few that are really just uh, grinding my gears, my man. So ho- hopefully this is the weekend where uh, the dam breaks. But yeah, nothing nothing really standing out here. We can move to the next fight, brother. The other half of that disaster I watched, Tafan Tukwi taking on AJ Dobson. And, you know, I started the week not very bullish on our Ohio guy. You know, I thought to myself, he's lost to two different archetypes in the UFC, right? Grappling with Malkoon, striking with Petrosian. I was like, He's kind of old too. Like what, you know, where, where are we to go from here? But 
he's still a guy that has room to grow. You know, he's a guy that can get better. I felt like he showed a little bit of growth from the Malkoon fight, uh, you know, to the Petrosian fight. So when I look at a guy on the other side in Chukwi, you know, again, miss weight. So we've got the, the two weight missers in a row, right? And um, when you look at Chukwi's intangibles here, he's got a one-inch reach advantage and a, uh, you know, one-inch height advantage to the other side. So it's basically a wash here on size, but I feel like Dobson much faster from the tape. And uh, shout out to the people in the comments. They were getting on me about Jun Young Park really beat the hell out of Chukwi. I feel like yes and no, because I did rewatch that fight to be, you know, to be up on my analysis. I wanted to make sure it was fresh in the brain and he gets busted open right at the end of the fight with an elbow and like is bleeding everywhere, but he was not bleeding prior to that. And he basically gave up like a couple really dumb positions. There was a competitive exchange on the feet. Park goes for a takedown, doesn't get it. Then he goes for a takedown and almost gets guillotined to end the second round. Like that, it was just a really dumb thing to do. He could have just kept it at like, hey, I don't know who won that round. Uh, if he had just, you know, kept it on the feet. I think he was up on the strikes by like eight or nine as well in that second round. And he had fouled Jin Young Park several times. So that the reason the scorecards and everything are all funky in that fight is because he fouled him many times, uh, but it was actually somewhat competitive uh, in the striking exchanges. I just don't believe in Chukwe, man. Uh, I, going back and watching it, not enough to lay chalk, certainly. Age says 28. Um, he just doesn't move very fast and dynamically. He does hit hard, though. So, you know, I guess he could hurt Dobson, but Dobson seemed pretty durable um, so far. You know, fighting a guy like Petrosian, if you were to go down in one of these two matchups, I feel like that's the one. Um, so Chukwe... I, I thought he would have grappling upside. That was where I was really relying on uh, if I thought he was going to win this fight. And that was my lean early on in the week. But some of the grappling exchanges I saw in his fights, not good. Like, I didn't think he looked very uh, athletic in how he was moving through some of those positions, to tell you the truth. Like, he just looked very stiff um, and looked like he was still learning some of the things. Like, there was a few times he had somebody basically in, like, a back control wrestling ride. And then he's, like, trying to secret their head and head kick them instead of, like, taking the back. I was like, decision-making, my brother, that that makes no sense. And he missed every time he did it. So a um, couple IQ uh, flaws, I, I feel like, for me. So Dobson or pass, uh, especially at the plus money. What do you think? Um, yeah. I, is this fight still going on? You're, you're muted. Uh, sorry about that, brother. I believe I saw a tweet earlier that said uh, this fight is a go. I think they oh, said okay. both fights with the weight miss are a go, but uh, I'll try and confirm that. Okay. In I like I like Dobson decision and Dobson money line. Not big though, like combined to unit total. So a little bit on money line, a little bit on decision, um, and then just see how it goes. Just just because of the speed factor, like and durability, like. I don't know what Tafan's doing, like jumping weight classes, like, you know, and then he's got finished twice in a row. Yes, they were two, like, really good strikers, but one was off a jab, um, and it's two in a row now, and yeah, I just, I don't really see his upside in this fight, so I like Dobson at dog odds, and taking a poke at the decision plus 500 seemed wide to me. Yep, and we've seen results at 185 like against Jin Young Park, and they weren't positive. So he went up to 205, and the results were even worse. So now he's back to 185. Yeah, you know, it's, it, like, it's like he – it looks like he's, like, moving through, like, under – it's like he's underwater when he's striking. He's he's so slow. 
Yeah. And again, you know, there's a few times he connected with power and like got people's respect. But a lot of times, like Jen Young Park gave him no respect on the feet for a lot of that fight, um, except for the the groin strikes. <laughs> and I expected him to move Jen Young Park in the clinch. But on rewatch, they were very competitive in those exchanges. Dobson's going to be competitive in the over under. And if he's competitive there, I feel like he could cage push this guy, you know, and then Tafan might be going low blows for the point deduction. So uh, if you're a yam bag better, like my guy, Lou Betcha, shout out to Lou and the MMA engine. Um, you know, maybe you look for the yam bag in this fight. Cause I wouldn't be too surprised. Um, next up, my man, Pollyanna Vienna and Yasmin Lucindo. We got some Brazil on Brazil crime. We got some, uh, women's MMA. I know you did your IG stock for this fight. Uh, as you said on the first look stream, my brother. So why don't you kick this one off? How do you feel about this matchup between uh, two Brazilians here? One who's 31 years old, established in the UFC, but the other who looks like a very bright prospect. Yeah, got to uh, head over to Pollyanna's Instagram and um, do do your due diligence, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the line that really stuck out to me for this fight was Lucindo by decision plus 165 um you know I'll, i just i just don't want to be laying like heavy juice on a money line um on lucindo money line and then she gets iron barred in round, round one so i'd rather take a smaller stake and then just play her by decision because she's a volume-based striker anyways um you know she couldn't even finish broken walker um pollyanna's tough too like she's gone down before like you know, people say Hannah Cyphers knocked her down. That was a while ago. And she's tough. Like, she's not going to just wilt in there. She's going to keep fighting. Um, but I just, her style is just so bad for winning minutes. And, like, you know, she's never won a decision. So um, I think I think the Lucindo decision happens at a pretty high clip. Um, so, yeah, I, I played that at plus 165. I think it's probably good until like plus one thirty, probably. I I don't have evidence of this um, at hand, but I believe that I saw she was training with Shootbox Diego Lima, um, which would only be to her benefit. I feel like for Pollyanna Vienna. Um, but the thing that that kind of spooked me about this fight was I looked at her Instagram. You know, to your point. And I didn't see any training footage. So then I looked for like tagged photos. And I think I just saw the one at Shootbox Diego Lima. So I'm like, did she just get a couple rounds in to cut some weight? Or like, you know, has she been training? You know, because that's the the other thing. It's like, realistically, some of these fighters can make more money outside the octagon than in it. And at a certain point, the the octagon is just like a way to build your profile. And, you know, uh, you know, keep checking the box and getting another paycheck, steady income, multiple revenue streams. But it's also just something that maybe she's not as committed to as somebody like Lucindo, who's 16 years of age. She's been going and going and going and getting better. You know, when you look at the fact she's got a few submission losses, I think that's going to, you know, make a bunch of people think she's not at all good on the ground or something like this. But she was young and those losses aged okay. I think the girl uh, that beat her by sub. Uh, twice retired like four and oh or four and one or four and some you know she she was like a fine regional level fighter in brazil and then the other girl is in the ufc so it's like she got submitted by girls that were older more experienced strong physically and now she's grown into her body a little bit did i expect her to finish broken walker yes that was a little bit disappointing to me uh but 
Brogan Walker wasn't really interested in, in winning that fight at a certain point. Um, so, you know, what are you going to do there? I think that Pollyanna Vienna, the one danger I think that she has in this fight is she kind of puts her chin on the line. You know, a lot of times she's striking. She's very aggressive. Um, you know, maybe Charles Oliveira asking away, like she comes forward and tries to hurt people and she's gotten a couple wins by knockout, but she's like, you know, a little bit upright, um, very tall girl. So I would be curious to see how her striking looks here. Um, you know, against somebody else that is, is probably going to be willing, uh, to exchange with her more frequently than a lot of women. Um, Jin Frey, I, I bet the ITD and the sub in that fight, because I was like, there's a chance that she knocks her out, but I think she subs her. And, you know, what ends up happening, she knocked her out. Jinny Frey was 38, you know. This is not a 38-year-old, you know. And this is not Amanda Hebos who cuts a lot of weight and has had some chin issues. So I, I feel like this is, for me, a fight where I'd be a little more surprised to see Vienna uh, score a knockout. I think she's going to be more dependent on that guard sub that she loves. But we've also seen, like I, I mentioned earlier on the show, we've seen her get submitted in the first round by Veronica Hardy. Again, back in the day, she's getting better every day, but Yasmin Lucindo is a girl that's getting better every day and she works on her game on the mat. I don't think we're going to see that here, but I just think she could hurt her. I think she could win this fight in a variety of different ways. So I like the Lucindo side, um, didn't bet it, but this is a fight where uh, I feel like it's, it's probably going to be the favorite here. Next yeah. Time. You don't, you oh, don't no, see a, you don't, do you see a Lucindo finish? I, I think that she could knock her out. I really do. I, I thought she was going like, to knock out Brogan Walker, but Brogan mm -hmm. Walker didn't want to fight. This girl yeah. wants to fight, and I think yeah. she keeps her chin pretty high. So I felt like it was uh, maybe a knock on her power that she didn't hurt Waregi as bad as uh, you know these other women have. But I feel like prior to the UFC, she showed a lot of power. So that's why I'm like, man, I, I really, I, I find that hard to look away from. I feel like we might regress to the mean here at some point and Pollyanna 31 years of age. Um, so that was the other thing, a little bit yeah. older. Uh, I feel like if they get into these exchanges, maybe the girl with better durability it, at the end of the day would be Lucindo, but I'm not oh, sure. For sure. It's a tricky but I, I could, I could just see like, I could see Pollyanna getting dropped and then like going to her back and like inviting her down, you know, and potentially Lucindo accepting that dance um yeah, doing yeah, the leg I, kicks from standing yeah i i just don't i don't i don't see her like getting like clean knocked out yeah you're probably right um but the, these are the things where i kind of noted there's some patterns i look for right in in uh these fights and one one pattern i look for is like they normally don't price wmma knockouts like they're plausible right look at amarine 16 to 1 you know whatever they, they're not even pricing it like it, it could happen but Macy Barber, when she fought Amanda Hebos, the KO was four to one. Lucindo's KO is four to one. And I was like, huh. I like I know I just noticed these patterns over time. It's not a, a perfect predictor. I think I've seen other examples where it doesn't come through and the other fighter wins, right? But it's like they're giving her a lot of respect that she could win this fight by knockout. And I was I'm curious about that because she hasn't yet in the UFC. So why are they giving her that respect? Yeah, and, and uh, it's just Polly, something I was considering. Pollyanna's never been knocked out, right? I don't think so. She's been dropped in the UFC, but I don't think yeah, she's ever she got been knocked out. She got dropped. Yep. And Hannah Cypher's uh, no, noted power puncher. No, I'm playing. Well, she did. Hannah Cypher's had multiple knockdowns in the UFC because I remember she dropped Mallory Martin and then Martin <laughs> came back to submit her. Wow. That's another one on the on the laundry list of wins for... Uh, I know. The thing that, that's scary about Vienna is like, 
you look at the wins and how they age, you're like, uh, cut from the UFC, cut from the UFC, uh, 38 years of age, and somebody you've never heard of. That right. That's literally her UFC wins. But to your point, she has definitely shown growth over time. And I, I was a Tabitha Ricci better. I, I can't too, tell you, bro, too. how happy I was. I'm cheering. Everybody else is like, oh, boo, this fight sucks. I'm like, no, you guys are missing it. I'm like, this is easy. Just keep on the feet and kick her in the leg. Um, yeah. So I think Lucindo could definitely do that and just dance 15 minutes away here. Um, but I, I do believe in her as like an aggressive fighter too. So I want to see her grow uh, as a fighter and show some growth over time. But uh, it's probably more realistic at 21 that she's going to uh, be very cautious here against somebody like Pollyanna. Yeah. Next up, man, 205 pounds. Another guy who uh, looked a little bit dicey on the scales. We got Chris Dawkins taking on Khalil Roundtree. Uh, Khalil Roundtree looked anything but dicey on the scales. He looked like a, a machine, uh, a fighting machine. But, you know, the tape for me on Khalil Roundtree is definitely a little bit scary um, in the sense that when he's been put under a lot of pressure, he has definitely shown red flags in the UFC on a number of occasions. The Iwan Kutalaba fight, Iwan Kutalaba was getting diddy bopped with every shot. Khalil was like, instead of wrestling, he was just like being balanced, pushing off and just throwing elbows and just damaging Kutalaba. But Kutalaba not effing off and just trying to go for single legs. Dude, they were some of the sloppiest trips you'll ever see in MMA. Like he's literally just like kicking his other leg out from underneath him and these kind of things over and over. And then eventually he got the finish there. I don't see that kind of persistence from Dawkins, right? I, I haven't seen it. I went back to look, and even on the regional scene, I don't often see that um, out of Dawkins. So that's the the big red flag for me here. It's like I I would want Dawkins to pursue a grappling path in this fight um, to feel safer about it because of his chin. You know, I thought he was going to beat Derek Lewis. Honestly, stupid, but I did think he was going to beat him. I had bet him all the way up to that point, and I just thought. He was fast. He was mobile at heavyweight. He could dance around these guys a little bit, make a miss, and hit him with power shots. So I was like, why can't he do that to Derek Lewis, who's pretty slow and doesn't deal well with strikers? In the UFC Apex, it was just like the Rogerio de Lima fight. Derek Lewis in the early going could be like a downhill uh, you know, avalanche. He's just coming at you with too much uh, for uh, heat for you to handle, right? And that's what happened to him there. He got blasted. But then he never got his feet back underneath him. I was at UFC Columbus when Curtis Blades sent him to the Shadow Realm. Uh, that was a brutal one. Uh, the Mortal Kombat theme echoing through the arena. And then he just uh, destroyed him. So, you know, I think of this fight and I say to myself, Dawkins, I felt like was the money line side early in the week. That's kind of how I felt when he was plus 180 and plus 175 and whatever. When I saw it was down to plus 145, I was like, this is comical, you know? Uh, it does seem like public sentiment is all the other way, that Khalil's a lock and whatever. Um, so that, for me, makes this fight hard to cap because I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this line should be moving towards Khalil if he's going to win the fight. The line's not moving towards him. It's showing a lot of signs of sharp resistance. But Dawkins has shown some red flags to me as well. I just think the upside, if somebody was to mix in grappling in this fight, it's going to be Dawkins, I think, more often than not. Um, but Khalil, he's a little bit tricky to take down. But once he gets to the ground, I feel like he gives up. I feel like he's one of the guys that just does not like to be on the ground. You see the Tyson Pedro fight, uh, for example, another uh, real red flag from him, right? Where the fight gets going and 
Tyson Pedro gets dropped like flat. And then he gets back up and takes him down with a body lock, you know, just right away. And then returned him to the mat and then got another takedown. So when I saw Khalil's physique, I was like, man, maybe it's not a Khalil knockout. Maybe it's a suburb decision or something to scoop the book. Like, I'm just like, how is the bookmaker going to afford to pay this fight? If everybody in the world bets on Khalil by knockout and he just flatlines this guy in the first round, that's what it looks like to me. So Khalil seems like a mushy side. I can't be on it. I wish everybody the best, um, but he also is a little bit inconsistent. So um, pass for me uh, right now. I do lean violence though uh, pretty heavily here because I feel like both of these guys are uh, liable to fall apart. What do you think about this one? Yeah, um, I'm I'm passing too. I guess I do lean Khalil a little bit. Um, but no real interest in betting this fight. Um, pretty volatile. And I noticed on DraftKings, he's in all the boosts. They have Khalil by KO and one of the boosts. And then they have him in the main card fortune um, money line. But so, yeah, I, I have I have no interest. Um, it, yeah, they got Khalil by KO, Lucindo by decision. That's not good. Hakeem by KO and RDA by decision. And then they have all those in a regular um, boost as well. So, yeah, I like my initial thought on this fight was that Khalil was just going to spark Dawkins early. Um, not that his chin is dust. It's just that, like, he's too slow. And, like, I feel like Khalil's striking is just so much more well-rounded. And he has so much more power. And, you know, people people talk about Dawkins wrestling all the time, but he, he hasn't done it in four years because when he does it, he, the last time he did it, he gassed out horribly. So I think he's afraid to do it, but maybe he'll go back to it this time, but I'm not banking on it. However, I don't, I also don't want to lay the juice on Khalil. He's never been a guy I've really been super bullish on. Like I, he's someone I'd rather bet at dog odds or pick them odds. You know what I mean? For sure, because there's always the chance that he just, uh, you know, to quote Gugabe, uh, you know, known better in this space, soft cocks it a little bit, you know, just comes in and doesn't really give his best because at his best, he's a scary man, right? Uh, he beat up Carl Roberson like he stole from him. Uh, that was a really like that was a, a an assault in the cage, not really a cage fight. Um, but I think that when you look at a fight like this, this is kind of an archetypal of like what Doc has struggled with but the line's not reacting the way that it, and that it should. So uh, it's a really tricky fight for me. Probably a pass. Uh, the, the bookmaker's going to make money on that fight somehow. Yeah, it, I, I would have to get really creative to find like a prop or something on that fight. Um, I did, I did yeah. see that um, Khalil went to minus 155 yesterday. He's down to minus 170 right now. So I don't know. I, I could see the line kind of settling where it is right now. It kind of seems accurate, you know. Let me check this. I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, Khalil Roundtree, eighty nine percent of topology votes. Um, so, you know the the community the community is pretty decided on this one. Um, but maybe the betting community is more divided. So interesting note. We got the co-main event next, my brother. It's at one hundred forty five pounds featherweight division. Cub Swanson. Doesn't this fight feel so out of place, kind of compared to like a lot of the other fights on the card, like? They all sort of fit thematically. And then uh, these two fights uh, that are in the feature and co-main co event, they're kind of just like, you know, 
sandwiched in the middle of this uh, otherwise like Brazilian heavy card. But in any case, um, I find that this is a, a fight where Hakeem Dawadu is in like a, a back against the wall situation. Like the UFC is like, dude, if you can't finish Cub Swanson, um, who's turning 40 in three months, then you're probably not really built for the UFC at this stage of the game. Uh, you look at the losses he's had in the UFC, oftentimes it's him getting taken down. Right. It's just him getting taken down. Uh, and that starts the fight going wrong. He's gotten hurt on the feet as well. But when he doesn't get taken down, he tends to win the fight. Um, or he tends to make it really competitive striking fights on the feet where he's walking people down. And Cub Swanson, a guy who can definitely dish it out. Um, but to quote best fight picks, my guy Dan Levy, can he take it too? I don't think he could take it too, man. I did not like the reactions in his last fight. Speaking about uh bouncing around weight classes, went down to 135. What was he thinking? You know, and then he comes back up to 145 here. Maybe he looks better, but he didn't look that great when he left 145. You know, I think he was sick of taking damage. So he's like, oh, I'll go to 135. But then he took a lot of damage there too. I feel like we may not see many more Cub Swanson fights in the UFC. Um, I, I consider him a live enough underdog, I guess, uh, in the early going. He can definitely throw some good hard shots. But I feel like as this fight extends, I favor Hakeem more and more. Um, and I think of the fights that he's had where it plays out mostly on the feet and guys are running away from him, right? Because they don't want to get hit by him anymore. And uh, I don't think Cub Swanson will do that. He fights like a gangster, but I think that's why he's probably getting put down in this fight. Um, and I think the club and sub is live here. Um, you know, Hakeem is not very good on the ground, but uh, Cub Swanson's been submitted a number of times. I think Frankie Edgar got the latest submission in UFC history against Cub Swanson. Um, you know, when he heard him in that fight, uh, and then he was basically riding him like a donkey for most of the fight anyway, but right at the end of the fight, he was able to secure it. And, uh, I just think that we've seen other guys hurt cub and then go to finish by just throwing a couple ground and pound shots. I just wouldn't be surprised if he hopped on his back here and it's 16, 18 to one. Um, so that was something I was looking at. What do you think, brother? Um, yeah, just, just for me, it's kind of, I just have like a systems play on, um, Hakeem um KO two three. Um yeah, I mean he's I, I bet Martinez by KO as well against against Cub. Um I mean that was that was an asinine move going to one thirty five and after he said it, um or after it he uh, this week he was saying that he doesn't regret going down. He wanted to see if he could make a title run at Bantamweight. A title run at one thirty five at 38 years old, like, what the fuck is this guy thinking? And you you saw in the fight, like he he's so weak to the legs and to the body, and you know they're they're just feeding him guys who love kicking the legs and the body, and it's the same thing. Like they they gave him the layup with Elkins, and then after that they're like, okay, now we're we're gonna build some prospects off you, buddy. And um, they used that opportunity to build Martinez as a prospect. That was a huge moment for him. And then they they gave uh, Martinez um, Saeed Nurmagomedov, and they gifted him a nice little decision. After now we have we have a prospect up at 135 now, and I think they are kind of doing something similar with Hakeem. They want to, I think they want to give him um an opportunity to shoot back up the rankings he lost a lot of respect with that erosa performance it was terrible he looked like shit he was clueless he missed weight i was there for the fight it was pathetic um 
But here in this spot, I think, you know, Hakeem loves going to the leg, loves kicking the legs, loves kicking the body. And that's that's Cubs kryptonite. So, yeah, I, I'm playing the KO 2-3. Um, not huge because Dawudu is not like a great finisher or anything, but it just makes too much sense. Like I would be I would be too upset at myself if it happened and I didn't have a little something on it. And I think the numbers are decent because Hakeem doesn't have like any finishes in the UFC. It's just stylistically, I, I could, I could see him getting it in this, in this spot, but I'm not going big because he's hard to trust. I feel that man. I I just think of this co-main event type of spot as like a spot that UFC is going to want to finish. And I feel like Hakeem uh, can potentially deliver it, but shout out to my guy, uh, MMA locker room. He's got Hakeem by decision. I, I must say, I, I also saw Hakeem uh, round three or decision was like plus 150, I think. Don't hate that because he's a guy who kind of builds into fights late. And so if he does let you down on the uh, KO 2-3 prop, you know, that's like a little bit of extra insurance. There's still a plus money um, on the round three or decision. But in any case, uh, I think Hakeem gets the job done here. Um, I think he's more durable than Cub at this stage of the game. I think he's way younger. I think a lot of the attributes are on his side. So give me mean Hakeem to get the win here and uh, potentially, like you said, the late finish. I think it could come a variety of different ways, but I just don't, I don't see this uh, being a good move here for Cub Swanson. And I think it might be a swan song here. Next up, we've got Vicente Luque, the silent assassin, taking on Rafael Dos Anjos. Fun fight here. Um, but a really tricky one in my view, man. Um, you know, talking about unknowns, right? I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a brain scientist. I'm not a doctor. Um, and all I can go on is the fact that we've seen examples of the UFC pulling fights, um, for sure, for medical reasons, right? Uh, we've seen it as recently as, uh, what's the gentleman's name? I'm, I'm now drawing a blank, even though I produced all these names earlier. Um, Isaiah uh, Harrell. Right. He was supposed to fight Jack Della. They pulled him because of a brain scan. Right. Like they they are very proactive uh, at the commission level as well as at the UFC level, pulling people if they see something on the brain scans. Why was Aljamain Sterling fighting at the Prudential Center, my brother? Because he can't fight in New York because of brain scans. So when you look at, at these fight situations, brains are a complicated thing. We don't fully understand them. But if a doctor is going to put their name and their reputation on Vicente Luque is good to fight. What can I do but believe them? He's still a young man. He took a bunch of time off. Now he's been in the gym. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a fight where Vicente Luque is the guy with a bunch of intangible advantages on paper. He's the younger fighter. He's the much bigger fighter, especially in this welterweight division. Uh, I also pointed out earlier this week, Luque's a black belt. Yeah, is he RDA level grappling? Maybe not quite. But I also don't think that RDA has the size and physicality that some of the guys that have out-wrestled him have so I look at this fight as a lot more uh unknowns than a lot of other people where I think a lot of people think there's just unknowns on the Luke side because of the brain injury and I'm definitely I'm with you that's a big unknown he got flatlined his last fight maybe his durability is gone he's been hurt before many times but RDA I don't think of as the biggest hitter especially not in the welterweight division I think of him as a round winner I think of him as a fight manager uh you know he finishes guys that cardio dump like Kevin Lee but like he's just not the most dynamic finisher in my view. So I look at RDA as a guy, you know, he finished Barbarina. That was a great win. It showed his class on the mat, but it's not like other guys that have that submission credential can't do that. We saw Mahmoud Muradov 
take this guy down 13 times and he's a strike. You know, it's like, he's not a great wrestler. He's not a great grappler. So the UFC gave him a couple layup fights, but when he's faced really tough challenges and like competitive contenders in the division, it's been getting gradually a little bit worse each time out. In my view, I bet Fazeev there. I thought, um, Fazeev was aside. I thought eventually he was going to wear on him. I thought eventually he was going to break him down. And now it's at 170. I think Vicente Luque, if he looks at his best, is going to knock this man out with a left hook. I think he's a dangerous fighter. I think Bilal Muhammad had a perfect game plan. He stunned him there because, number one, he had the confidence and the pressure of having beaten this guy already. It's hard to beat a good guy twice. And he goes out there, and the guy's switching stances, wrestling him the whole time. You know, he mixed up the game plan on him entirely. And it was a brilliant performance. Hats off to Bilal Muhammad. He's like deserving of a title shot basically at this point. So what more can you say? Credit to him. Jeff Neal, I said before that matchup, I was like, man, that's a terrible matchup for him. He's a southpaw with huge power and this guy likes to brawl. I just don't see, like RDA doesn't fit the mold of guys that have beaten him for me. Uh, Steven Wonderboy Thompson, you know, how did he beat him? He kept him at distance. He beat the hell out of him with strikes. It, does he fight anything like Wonderboy? No. So it's like, I can't find the the style archetype that tells me that RDA is just going to run through of Vicente Luque here. So for me, it would be a dogger pass situation. I do lean towards the under four and a half rounds here uh, as well. I think somebody's probably getting finished. Um, I, I was tempted early in the week and the plus 200 ends by KO, but because of RDA's preference for the sub, uh, and because Luke is a black belt in his own right that has opportunistic submission finishes, I just felt like there wasn't enough value there. I would have to go with a total here uh, or, or just leave it alone. But I think it's a compelling welterweight matchup, and I'm just praying for my guy Vicente Luque. I'll tell you the truth as well. He's a he's a guy I'm a big fan of, right? I was always a big fan of him, but I've also tried to be objective. I said last time out I thought Jeff Neal was going to beat him. I, I got to be objective here too. And I could be dead wrong. I've been wrong before, but I've had really good reads on RDA. I, I bet seven and a half units against uh, Moicano. Like there, there's been a bunch of times when I've, uh, you know, picked my spots and won with RDA for and against. I just think this is going to be a tough uh, fight for RDA. You know, I think this is at his best. I think Vicente Luque is a really dangerous guy uh, that could hurt him in multiple ways. Body kicks. Um, you know, speaking of guys that have had a little bit of sensitivity. I think that if you hurt RDA to the body, that's the best place to get him. I think Eddie Alvarez mixing up his shots upstairs and down uh, was a part of his success in that fight. So um, I, I just feel like Vicente Luque uh, is an underrated fighter in this division at this point, and we have to see how he responds to this brain injury. Um, I haven't bet it, but uh, I would like to see if he blows out you know, to a bigger underdog. I do think you know the much more well-known name and commodity among UFC fans is RDA. So I do think tomorrow that the line is going to go in his direction pretty significantly. What do you think? I don't know, man. There's a lot of unknowns in this fight. Do you, how many, how many takes down takedowns do you think RDA is going to get? Um, because Luke's historically been pretty easy to get to the hips on and take down. Um, I think he's probably going to take him down in the first or second round. Um, I just don't know how much consistent control he'll have. So I, like, thought, I think he's going to get takedowns, but I think that Luke will probably build a base and get back up. Honestly, uh, I, that's I, I, thought, uh, I thought he looked pretty good against the, against Fiziev and I had Fiziev in that fight against RDA. Um, but Fiziev just has crazy hips. Like his takedown defense is like absolutely elite. And, you know, I kind of view Luke on the other end of the spectrum as far as takedown defense. And, like, 
it's kind of hard to know exactly how like how successful he's going to be in holding him down but i kind of do think that he is going to be able to get some control grappling going um you know we don't have a ton of recent examples but i mean in the barbarina fight you know i know it's barbarina like his takedown defense is abysmal but he always works his way back up you know watch the Murdoff fight you know he got taken down a million times but he he got up every every time and pretty damn quick and against RDA that wasn't the case RDA was able to hold him down and work to a finish so i i think i think that RDA has the grappling upside um on the feet i obviously favor Luke but i don't think i don't have any reason to believe that he's going to be at his best at this point you know he's Luke is one of those people like he's he's such a fun fighter and like I love watching Luke fights. Um, I was on him big against uh, Woodley and I had the submission against Chiesa too at like a crazy number. Um, but yeah, I, I don't RDA's not RDA's not the kind of guy who's going to give up positions in my opinion to give Luke those um, opportunities for a submission. I mean it. Like someone said in the comments, like club and sub would probably be um, the if it were to occur, it would be a club and sub. And I do 100%. think Luke can can definitely hurt him on the feet, but like psychologically, where is he going to be at after getting that um, medical diagnosis and the brain bleeding? I haven't listened to his interviews yet, but um, you know, you got to think that's got to affect you a little bit and potentially make you fight a little safer, be a little more gun shy. So overall, I, I do stylistically, I do favor RDA. Um, so I, I played him, but I'm not going to lie. It's kind of, it's kind of freaking me out because I, I know a ton of people, um, who I talked to who also played RDA. And usually when we're all on the same side, the line blows out a ton and that hasn't happened here. It's been very steady with kind of money coming in on Luke. Um, and then I see RDAs and a lot of the DraftKings boosts. So now I'm getting like a little even more freaked out about it, but I'm going to let, let the play ride. Anyhow, um, give me RDA at Pickham's. So I, I definitely uh, understand that, and I respect where you're coming from. It could look like a very sharp bet in hindsight because, number one, the unknowns could be that Vicente Luque comes in here a shell of himself and gets knocked out on the feet in the first round, right? Like that that's not a uh, unforeseeable outcome. You could definitely uh, read that into the medical diagnosis. We could definitely see him out grappled. We've seen it happen in the past. Uh, RDA doesn't have the same grappling self-immolation tendencies that Michael Chiesa had. I called Kevin Holland by Darce because that's how Michael Chiesa loses. He just he does it the same way every time. You know, I talk about fighters having pathological ways that they lose. They like to just like it's just a pattern, you know. And I've seen it in my own wrestling matches back in the day. So that's why I can kind of relate to it in other people where I see it and I'm like, oh. This is, this is, when this happens, the fight's already over and he's going to lose this way. And I feel like in this kind of fight, um, it's, it's not one that I see super clearly, but I just see a guy that my, my read on the intangibles and the unknowns here is like at his best, 
He's a guy that brings a lot of pressure, throws a ton of volume. If he gets hurt, if he gets dropped, he gets back up and gets in your face. As long as he can stand, he will get back up. Like Wonderboy was sunning him, schooling him around the octagon. My man's like, give me more, please. Like just inviting the fight. And so, yes, that is something that will test your chin and he will probably not be around at a high level at 35, but he's 31. And this guy is 38. He's right on that precipice of where people do start to get knocked out a little bit more frequently in the UFC. He was knocked out by Fazeev, who I know is a brutal hitter. But we've seen Fazeev kind of get pieced up by Gaethje, taken down by a guy who never goes for takedowns. And he obviously has the skills, but he hadn't been working the skills in a long time. I think he would admit that as well. So I feel like this is a fight where Luke knows exactly what to expect here. You know, he's got a guy who's got the most tape in UFC history to watch. He knows exactly what he's going to bring to the table. And I feel like he has enough time to prepare. So I, I, I like Luke here, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I how... want to go back and watch the way in visuals. I felt like he looked good in the pictures I saw, but I actually didn't see him walk up to the scale. So I want to I see mean, how he looked and, and hear some interviews from today. But Luke always looks good. Man's like, well, he's missed weight before for the, uh, oh, the yeah, that's, fight. that's why that's he true. got those brutal matchups, dude. They were like, F this guy forever. He missed weight for a backup. You're dead to me. Yo, <laughs> if you go back and watch the Woodley fight, um, Woodley rocked him in round one. Like his... it's the first time Woodley actually fought somebody in a long time. He right. threw down, dude. It was awesome. That's he's a great, just... that's one of the best Yo, fights you'll watch. I know that w- that was incredible. He, but yeah, he, he's just been in so many wars. Like RDA, RDA is older, but he hasn't been in, like his chin hasn't been cracked like that. He hasn't been in many wars. He usually takes the safer approach or and tries Jeremy to Stevens once uppercutted him to another dimension, to a, yes. to a dimensions unknown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, like Luke could definitely knock him out. That's, that's for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know what version of Luke we're going to get. I think that's me. Why. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that's why the, the, the do you endorse is. the under? I, I didn't ask you that. What do you think? About uh, that? Is it juiced under four and a half? I, I think it's minus 145. Let me pull up the best. I kind of do. I kind of oh, minus do 136 like the, to the under. I, I kind of do family. like the under. I, I can't see this going five rounds. Wow. A, a lot of people in the, um, you know, I always say the sharpest chat in the game. I appreciate each and every one of you. A lot of the people um, are saying here, the fight probably goes to decision. Um, but I, I don't see it that way, guys. I, I think that if Luke is as bad as everybody thinks he is uh, in this fight, you know, number one, RDA, great, uh, you know, submissions on top. So if he just has extended opportunities to create passing and, and position, he will potentially finish. But he is a guy that's gone to a number of decisions. I, I get where people are coming from that way, but um, you know what? It, Vicente Luque is like a plus one hundred five, and he's like plus five hundred to win by decision, right? They're basically telling you like he's got to get it done inside the distance uh, to win this fight. And if his chin is terrible and it's just gone, then he gets knocked out potentially. And if his grappling is a suspect, as people think then he could uh, end up putting himself in bad positions to get finished. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I lean towards the under. Personally, Me too. Shout, I, out, shout out to the sharpest chat in the game. I've, I've, uh, that's I, why we're gambling, huh? I saw um, on DraftKings they had um, RDA by decision boosted, and and one of those boosts. So I could I could see that as like a, a potential um, you know trap spot is thinking it's going to go to decision. 
Um, yeah, just the way they both fight. I I don't know. I I could I see a finish. It's probably Luke KO or um, RDA sub. I I feel you for sure. A lot of and Evans making the point that he had uh, he was losing to Mike Perry. Derek Krantz had moments. Close fight with Barbarina. But I, again, like this is a guy who was literally one fight away from a title shot, right? Like that he was on an insane streak at welterweight as well. So he's a guy that's put together a good UFC resume. Did he put himself on the line to do it? Yes. Uh, Jeff Neal is the kind of guy that will make you pay for that, but styles make fights. So I think this is a more forgiving matchup for him and let's see what he has. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm just hopeful, man. He's only 31 years of age and he's put a lot of work into this, uh, had gotten himself to a very good position and then he's lost that footing. So I'd like to see if he can get back on here. Um, yeah, he's but, he's two and six in decisions. You never like to see that. Oh no, never. Um, and especially in five round fights, I don't think he's had any success yet. Um, but I just think this is a guy he could finish. And I actually think the more that like the longer this fight is, it gives him more opportunity to finish. So I feel like that that actually is good for him uh in some ways. But uh if RDA is just getting takedowns in top time, then it's only better for him and his chances to finish late. So uh, I like the under and I like the Luke side, but are you going to play uh, Luke ITD? I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. Th the other thing is if I'm taking Luke, I would probably have to take some of his money line just because it's plus money. And I, if he won a decision and I didn't have uh, money line exposure, I would be gutted, dude. Like that's the way my brain works. So um, that that's something I'll consider is if I was to play this, I would probably have multiple bets and for a small total sizing, like you said before, um, you know, two bets and it, the total was one unit, something yeah. like that, you know, nothing too big, but I would, I would consider some of those bets on this fight. So yeah. there you have it guys. Um, we just broke down. What was that? 12 fights, 13 fights, um, 13 fights on this card and had a heck of a time doing it under 90 minutes here. So kept the breakdowns pretty tight as well. Um, my brother truly appreciate having you on. It was a blast. The time flies by, uh, don't want to keep you too long. Um, so Brother, please tell the people where they can find you. Uh, anything you want to get off your chest, anything about the card, anything that you have to say, fire off now, my brother. Uh, appreciate you being here. Cheers to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me again, Liam. Um, all I'll really say is um, I like the under the under four and a half in the Bellator main event. We were talking about that a little earlier. I think that's a solid spot at the current line. So, um, And I also like um, – Diana Silva money line. She's an underdog on the Bellator card. That's going to be starting in about an hour, but um, yeah, everyone, I think everyone knows where to find me. So yeah, just follow me on Twitter and thanks for the support. And thanks for having me on the show again, Liam. Hell yeah, my brother. The pleasure is all mine. If you guys don't know where to find him, it's conveniently located for you in the description box below. So you can go check it out there. If you haven't already, drop a like on the video. Get subscribed to the channel. If you're not already, we break down fights here each and every week. Broke down the Contender Series earlier this week. Had some success. Uh, good stuff. So excited to get it back rolling again. Another UFC card tomorrow. The show never stops. So you guys can catch my article on Roto Grinders. You can catch me on Pub Sports Radio live tomorrow, talking through these fights, commentating live. So should be a blast. Appreciate all the support. God bless you all. If you have comments, questions, concerns, fire them into the comments below. I'll try and get to as many as I can before fight time. And until next time, uh, you know, enjoy the fights and we'll see you then. Uh, come back and we'll have all the same fun next time. See you guys.